Welcome to the Wheel of Sports. This is the podcast, home of the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me is... Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery! <laughs> yes! Well played, Matt. Thanks, man. I know you like it when I say it twice. <laughs> I really don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? Are you well? Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to say something to our listeners about Ian, because everyone knows him as a Tranmere fan who loves these terrible dad jokes. Um, but he also loves his beer. And this weekend, he went down to visit a brewery and he brought me back a few samples. So, so that was nice, wasn't it? What a kind man. Thank you, Ian. I, d- I found them at the bus stop. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed them. I certainly <laughs> did. And <laughs> here it is. This week's topic is... Money Talks. Money Talks. Now, the last Money Talks episode we did was with our good friend, Paul Benson, from Financial Autonomy Podcast, which is all about Formula One and the finance involved here. Matt, I'm going to take this one because this is an epic tale of greed, of murder. Murder? <laughs> didn't expect that <laughs> okay i'm interested uh, this is right podcast isn't it <laughs> i've come so, in the yeah. right studio yeah this is this is the, the, the wheel, wheel of, of murder yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is such an intriguing tale it kind of starts in 1973 when a horse trainer called richard bailey meets a rich heiress. <laughs> Sounds like the start of a murder mystery party. It really this, does. It? Yeah, this is great. <laughs> it's an Agatha Christie, isn't it? <laughs> well, Helen Brack, was, uh, she was the heiress of a huge confectionery company. And she had a bit of coin. This is in the US. Okay. And Richard Bailey met her. And she's in her later years of her life at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they get on famously. Um, to the point where they start becoming lovers. Right. Now, by the time 1975 comes around, Richard Bailey is a, a little bit younger okay. than, than Helen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for uh, different tastes, you know, for <laughs> different people. And in 1975, Bailey introduces his lover, Helen, to his brother, Paul. And Paul is in the equestrian business oh, okay that's where equestrian. the sport comes in right yeah equestrian that's the horses dancing i think so <laughs> i think uh <laughs> look i watched it in the london olympics okay and you know sometimes you watch a sport at the olympics and you say oh, i remember playing that as a kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you're thinking how did anyone learn how to play equestrian yeah. <laughs> many <So>, talks <laughs> So, yeah, the the equine department at our school was rubbish. Yeah, mine too, actually. (laughs) Some would say it was non-existent. I think we're getting into the wheel of politics as well. Uh, (laughs) We're going to go the wheel of everything today. This is unreal. So um, this meeting, Paul Bailey, Richard's brother, sells Helen three horses. She's got a bit of money, so and she's interested in you know investments and and a bit of recreation, bit of leisure on the side. So he sells her three horses that are supposedly like elite show ponies or mm-hmm. show horses right. for ninety eight thousand dollars. That's a lot, right? In nineteen seventy five, I would guess that was 
significance. Mm. Like the average wage in 1975 in the US, what I'd guess would be kind of 10 grand or something, maybe 15 grand a year. Richard helped, he participated in the sale, but one of the key factors of his participation in the sale was that he didn't let his partner Helen know that he was part of the sale. Turns out the horses probably were only worth about 20,000 in in total. Okay. There's a bit of strange things going on there. This is his lover. He hasn't told his lover. She's bought these three racehorses way above market price. Uh So it's a little bit strange. And they also fix up the sale for some brooding mares. She bought a group of them who were all supposed to be able to go out to stud and kind of create great show horses as well. She's got enough money, so it doesn't really impact on anything. But by early 1977, their relationship is really starting to deteriorate. Richard, he is kind of working behind Helen's back here because he decides to get a co-conspirator to show Helen some more horses for sale. And he tees up this meeting, unbeknown to Helen, that she's going to go along and she's going to hopefully buy these horses for $150,000. Helen Brack went along to this meeting with this salesperson to look at the horses. But critically, she left very very quickly she was there less than an hour which was unusual because if you're there looking for horses you're checking everything out you're seeing the stables you're seeing if everything's in check you know i know when i've bought equine (laughs) (laughs) i've bought you know different uh things for my equestrian team that you're there all day yeah oh it's practically uh it's a really real saddle on me back actually but um she ouch (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, thought, thought I'd get out of the traps quickly. Uh, she, <laughs> she, <laughs> I actually didn't tell you, did I, that my 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 family have a, a bit of an interest in, in horses. Right. Uh, my my uncle, actually, he used to uh, work at stables for uh, Shetland ponies, you know, the, yeah. the, the small... Uh, Little horses. Yeah. He got sacked for having a sore throat. Right. And when he went to the tribunal, they said... Um, so he said, why did you sack me? And they said, because you said you were feeling a little horse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that. I, can't, I can't kill you. You bought me some beers this week. So. <laughs> <laughs> that, that joke's why. I only came up with that joke this afternoon. I was like, that is going in. <laughs> Even if that uncle is completely fictional. Now, she leaves this appointment really quickly, unusually quickly. And... What Richard has been working behind her back, but what Richard doesn't know is that Helen, she's been doing a bit of homework herself. Helen's gone and got an independent appraiser. The appraiser said, these horses are worth nothing. Mm. I wouldn't invest a dime in them. She went over to see her breeding stock, to see the mares, and the stables was an absolute shambles. 
Like they weren't being looked after. It was terrible. She, there was no hint that these were being raised to be thoroughbreds and to be brilliant show horses. And so she went wild. She's shouting and she's carrying on and she's saying, I'm going to get this sorted out and people are going to, I'm going to go and tell the police and all this sort of stuff. She left there. She told a close friend about all the concerns. And obviously her and Richard's relationship hasn't been going well. Her friends knew the state prosecutors. So he said, well, you should go to the state attorney and tell them what's been going on, what you think is going to happen and they can investigate. And then if there's anything going wrong, they'll sort it out so she said yeah i'll go and do that but I'll, i've got an appointment at the mayo clinic which is a, a medical charity i'll go there and then i'll i'll go to the state attorneys uh, later in the afternoon this is on the 17th of february 1977 she leaves the mayo clinic and she's 65 years old and she disappears vanishes she vanishes she's gone this really is an echo for christy isn't it isn't it I don't know where the sport fits in, but it's good, isn't it? Right, so... (laughs) Mysterious. She's gone. She's vanished. Okay. This is kind of where the story starts, but where the story ends is almost 20 years after her disappearance. In the mid-90s, the world of equestrian in the US is blown apart. 36 people are indicted, 35 of which lead to convictions. Wow. In Chicago alone, 23 people were indicted and 20 of them pleaded guilty. What happened? (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) What have they done? (laughs) Isn't this a fun start? (laughs) So so the question is, is what what happened? Like, and what's going on? And why is... Helen Brack, an heiress of a confectionery company, so pivotal to everything that happens, which ends up 20 years later with all of these convictions. So a few years after Helen's disappearance, another incident happens. A young woman, 17 years old, Lisa Druck, she was a prize-winning rider, and she used to ride a horse called Henry the Hawk. Great name. (laughs) I'm not sure it is. Really? I'm not sure calling an animal after a bird is a smart thing. Like, a calling, like, a, like Eddie the Eagle. Yeah, that's that works for me. But calling a horse... You never saw that horse. But it, <laughs> but it has... <laughs> now, Lisa was 17, and she's riding this great horse... Naturally, because she's a minor. Sorry, a minor or a minor? <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she had a light on her, on her helmet. <laughs> just, just a check. <laughs> she, she was under 18. So her father controlled all of her finances. Right. And she was obviously winning. You know, this is a question. This is a sport of the elite. So prize money is good. And it, that's nothing suspicious about that. But what happens is that Henry the Hawk, he drops dead. The horse, not in a riding accident. He's at the stables. He's chewing some hay. And next thing, he's dead on the stable floor. As it turns out, James Druck, Lisa's father, 
he's tried to sell this horse because he's in a bit of financial trouble. And he reckons the horse is worth $150,000. But the best price he can get for it is $125,000. But James Druck works out that this horse is insured. If this horse is dead, maybe I can claim the insurance and that'll give me 150000 Oh, so it's insured for one hundred and fifty. It's just insured for one hundred and fifty. Obviously, he doesn't want to do it himself. So he finds a guy called Tommy Burns, which you would imagine he was more into arson. But it turns out... <laughs> he's a horse killer. <laughs> he's a horse killer. Wow. But interestingly, James Druck buys Tommy his first set of electric equipment. Now, you never forget if someone, a stranger, buys you your first set of electrical equipment, do you? So he's walking around, Tommy's walking around the stables with an athletics bag full of electric equipment. And James Druck shows him how you electrocute a horse. He's got bought him electrical equipment to electrocute a horse. I know, it's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> I mean that that's not bad. When you when you said he bought electrical equipment, I thought you meant like a an electrical drill or something, not a right, so it's quite bespoke specific equipment. This is <laughs> yeah, the equipment yeah, we yeah, use to yeah. electrocute a horse. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's gotta have a level of voltage. Voltage, and, yeah. And uh the method, James Druck actually shows Tommy in detail how to do this by clipping the alligator clip to the horse's ear and the horse's anus and then flicking the switch and it takes the horse down this is gruesome it is the critical thing is the vet who comes to examine for the insurance company will know this horse has been electrocuted but they don't because the symptoms are very similar to colic which is common in horses and common in wiping them out And James Druck knows this because his job is working as an attorney who defended insurance companies against illegitimate claims. Right. He's the inside man. Yeah. This one incident is successful. Tommy Burns gets paid off by James, James Druck. Henry the Hawk's dead. He's down the glue factory. And he's got 150. And he's got got 150. He's out of trouble. I know. One of the critical things of this incident is that it sets Tommy Burns off on his career of horse killing. Right. <laughs> I mean, everyone's got a job, I suppose, don't they? You know, if I wasn't here, I'd be. I'd probably just be electrocuting a horse. You know, sometimes you're looking for work, and you might send your CV off to like four or five different companies or something, and then you, one of them you forget about, and you get an interview for one, and then they just phone you out the blue, and you're like, "Oh, I forgot about this. This is a nice little treat." Like Tommy was <laughs> the same. Oh, a, a sports bag full of electrical equipment. I didn't see this coming, but happy days. I'll uh, I'll invest into it. So Tommy Burns realises that this is quite a lucrative trade to be in because these horses are insured and he will take 10% of the cut. Yeah, not bad. So, you know, for for a few minutes' work, uh, he, he seems Gruesome to, work. Yeah, 
I think it was pretty gruesome because Tommy Burns uh, has said that the horse falls to the ground so quickly. One of the things that he tried to say was that it was quite painless for the horse and that it was very quick, but he reckons that the horse drops to the ground very quickly and he said one horse dropped so quickly it, it broke its neck when it fell. He does have regrets about these killing the, the horses and so on, but this seems like a really straightforward plan. You have a horse that's insured, you get it killed, it looks like colic, you claim the insurance money. Easy. Simple. But it's not so simple because people aren't really satisfied with this because as things move on and there's money up for grabs, other people start getting involved. There's many examples across this 20-year period of these terrible things going on. It's it's really funny to me that it's equestrian... (laughs) Why? I mean, what do you know about a question? Not a lot. I guess you have to be pretty rich to get into it. Have a few horses. Probably a bit of land. Like, probably, who's the most famous? Oh, Queen Margaret. No, Princess. Princess Margaret. She got a promotion. (laughs) She never made it to Queen, sadly. Princess Margaret. Yeah, she represented... um, the royal family and Great Britain uh, <laughs> in the Olympics. How could, how, it shouldn't be allowed that you represent the Germans and the British. <laughs> Actually, he was the first royal uh, member of the British royal family to, to compete in the Olympics. That's amazing, I isn't I don't it? I she won, but she, yeah, she was, she was good. I know that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other sports I'd like the royals to compete in. <laughs> Hammer throwing would be one, I reckon. <laughs> oh yeah, that that is good actually. Yeah, yeah. Greco Roman wrestling would be would be there. It's specific members of the royal family though you'd want to see. Yeah. Take them out of the comfort zone a little bit. Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> I mean the, the, the British taxpayers pay for their existence, so they should be able to We're not paying for them to exist. <laughs> Yeah, they are. Where do they work? We're paying for their livelihood. We're not paying for their existence. <laughs> That's a very deep question, Matt. Uh, so, back to the story. The wheel of politics spins. <laughs> I'll give you a few examples of how this plays out. James Druck's story is kind of the simplest because it's it's just that pure insurance job. But as things go on, people start enlisting co-conspirators and they start to target wealthy, older women. They befriend them and they act like gigolos. So they're basically silent up to them, making friends with them, giving them company, spending a lot of time with them, maybe even doing extra things. But they are then aiming to extract money from them. And the way they do this is that they get a partner or multiple people, they say to the older lady, let's invest in a horse if you put up this money and then they use the co-conspirators to push up the value of the horse. So this horse might be worthless, but then after they've kind of put in counter bids and built up share excitement and things like that in the value of the horse, then that's what happens. Mm. The clever little trick as well is that if the lady suspects that there's foul play going on or that the horse is massively overvalued, they'll kill the horse, claim insurance on it, give the lady back some of the money, 
and the lady give give the woman her money some of their money back she probably was a lady to yeah. be fair. I mean, it's a very elite sport <laughs> <laughs> the duchess <laughs> i don't know so they give her a little bit of a sweetener back to yeah. say like that smooths things over and then they'll say and do you fancy investing that in i've got another horse that will be useful and then the cycle repeats itself yeah so over this 20-year period, we're talking, the, we don't know exactly the figures, but it could be in excess of 100 horses being killed, mm. 100 show horses being killed, even beyond show horses. The, there was a horse that was killed called Ali Dar as late as 1990 in Kentucky. This Ali Dar is one of the quickest stallions of that, era he's actually in the racing hall of fame and in the top 100 u.s thoroughbred champions he ranked number 27 this isn't small beer mm. ali dar was owned by a guy called jt lundy whose farm and estate was falling into millions of dollars of debt he wanted to prevent the takeover of his farm because the bank were going to come in and foreclose on him and he had his horse killed to claim insurance that is massive like that this sport and the whole equine community in america is blown apart by all of these crazy goings-on and this underworld that exists so i'll tell you about some of the characters involved in this uh barney ward he enlisted tommy burns with his close friend paul valier we'll get on to paul valier in a moment but Barney Ward acted to arrange Burns to kill 15 horses in total. That's a lot, isn't it? It's industrial. This is a massive scale of of operation. Paul Vallier, he owns the farm, Acres Wild Farm in Rhode Island. He's a horse trainer. And another guy called Harlow Arley, in 1989, he hired Tommy Burns to kill a horse called Streetwise. Now, the implication here is that Donna Brown owned the horse, but Donna Brown is the ex-wife of former U.S. Olympic rider Buddy Brown. She had trained horses at Paul Vallier's farm in Rhode Island. But Streetwise already had colic, pre-existing condition. Yeah. How do you... How do you insure a horse for colic? You can't. You can't. So how do you kill a horse that doesn't look like anything else? Donna Brown decides that Streetwise is going to have his leg broken. It's brutal stuff, this, isn't it? it's horrific yeah and so tommy burns he's is he he like i can do that no he says i don't do that (laughs) he subcontracts it out oh wow to harlow arley he gets harlow arley involved and says can you break a horse's leg harlow arley is down quick as a flash with his crowbar is that gonna break a horse's leg (laughs) i don't know about harlow arley's like technique but but critically here, this is where the world kind of falls in on this story because Harlow Ali is trying to break this horse's leg with a crowbar. Tommy Burns is there with him, as are the federal police. Okay. They're not there in time to save the horse, poor streetwise. God rest your soul. Um, but there they are there to capture tommy burns and harlow ali so they got onto it because of the insurance scams just mounting is that right or yeah so there's insurance scams mounting and there's all these discrepancies 
coming to bear and there's something worth pursuing and the more they pursue it the more of the story there is the more people are implicated but they get down this is on paul valia's farm this is where it really kind of unfolds because tommy burns he's known as the sandman by this point wow because he makes horses go to sleep yeah uh, yeah i mean i got that (laughs) (laughs) with the use of sandpaper in modern sports you know you never know do you so uh (laughs) so what happens here is the police have got burns who is the key man in this story because and how this unfolds over the next few years they are basically saying you are in for a lot you, you we know that you've killed all of these horses and it's on your head for a moment tommy thinks well i've got these people i've worked with they're gonna chip in and fight this for me and get lawyers and you know be able to mount a legal case to protect me but no they don't there is no loyalty here so tommy burns says all right then i'll, I'll become a informer <laughs> i'll become an informer i'll flip and he tells the police everything everything this really is like a game of rich people cluedo isn't it (laughs) (laughs) i suppose cluedo is probably rich people too like yeah (laughs) yeah so just amazing that burns flicks the switch to save his own skin really because that means that he's not going to serve as long in prison or go through um, you know, the, the the horrible court cases and so on, um, more so than he would have to. And it's kind of weird because you do kind of think, what got Tommy into this? Like, it's a pretty cold-hearted guy who is able to kill horses on an... Not just horses. one horse, but possibly, certainly in the double figures, let's say, conservatively. But the money was there. He got caught electrocuting a horse called Charisma. He, he got 35 grand for that one act. The horse was insured for a quarter of a million dollars. So you can see the level of money. That's just in one horse. And then you multiply this out over the number of years. And Tommy also helped to help the police to close in on some of the other players in this. So he closed in on a guy called Larry Lombardo. I mean, these names, they can't be true. <laughs> it really is. It's like a murder mystery, isn't it? Larry Lombardo. Amazing. Like, unreal. So he was a horse trainer, and he killed a horse uh, called Finns, and another horse called Cutlass Reality, which was valued at $1.4 million. Oh, my Finns, the horse, actually cost Lombardo $7,500. But with all the shenanigans, he'd managed to inflate the value of Finns to $400,000. So you can see how the co-conspirators can really ratchet up. And this is what Burns told all of this to the police. In In a result of all of this and Burns turning informer, Bernie Ward, who had enlisted Tommy Burns for, in, in conjunction with Paul Vallier, he ended up being charged in 1994 with organising the death of four horses. Now, remember, Burns had actually said it was 15. So he was lucky to get just the four. And he got put in prison for 33 months and got ordered to pay back the insurers $200,000. Paul Vallier, who owned the farm, he also turned informer. So... He actually wore a wire for a year. 
Oh, wow. Trying to get information on the inside. <laughs> he was, after he was caught in 1994, he had four years probation and got a $5,000 fine. The weird thing with both of those characters, both Paul Vallier and Barney Ward, was that Paul Vallier tried to rejoin the U.S. Equestrian Federation in 2006. Surely his name's murder. You would think, wouldn't you? You would think, like, showing up. It's going, oh, hi, guys. Oh, st- hi, Steve. Hi, Brian. Uh, Paul, you you can't be in here, mate. Uh, this is... that. You know when you... You arranged the murder of loads of horses <laughs> and then shopped all our mates to the cops. Yeah. Are you wearing a wire, Paul? Because <laughs> it's like the, the goal to show up yeah. like, te- like 10 years later and try and rejoin is bonkers. Barney Ward probably went a step further because the US uh, Question Federation used to be called the American Horse Show Association. He tried to sue them. For what? Because they basically banned him from the organization. And he said, well, I want to still watch Equestrian. And they said, well, but you, you, can't, you can't, Barney, because you've been criminally charged with and served 33 months in prison, paid back 200 grand. You, you can't kind of be here, Barney. And he's like, no, no, my son rides one of the horses. And I want to watch my son. And I'm not a member of your organization. I'm just a private citizen. So I, I, I think I should be able to watch. So he tries to sue them. Like, it gets laughed out of court. Yeah, fair. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you've, you've done enough wrong for it doesn't matter whether you're a member or not. You can't be here, Barney. So exactly. <laughs> Barney gets you on the glue factory. Now, Harlow Ali, who was caught with Tommy breaking a horse's leg with a crowbar. He served eight months in prison for that. Tommy Burns, the top, the Sam man, the big killer, he got sentenced to a year in prison and served six months. Because he shopped everybody else. Because he shopped everybody else. He's now since changed his name and he's called Tim Ray. And his dream, I read an, there's an article in the New York Post from 1993 and it said that his dream was to put horses behind him and become a used car salesman. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I like that. Dream big. What? <laughs> also, you like you think of untrustworthy professions. Yeah. You you fit you're fitting in, aren't you? Um Tommy now lives in Florida. And his job is selling auto parts. So it's close enough to use car salesman. Yeah. And Matt, that's the that's it. That's a crazy, crazy story. Well no, it isn't. A, How what? does this relate <laughs> to the start of the story? Oh um, Helen Brack. Yeah, yeah, twenty years missing. Twenty years missing. Um still haven't found her, Matt. Oh. She got declared officially she got declared dead seven years after her disappearance in 1984 and has never been found since. I mean, that's quite a dark end to this tale then. So Richard Bailey, they could not pin the murder on him. But what they did do is they charged him with conspiring to murder her and he's currently in prison serving a life sentence. Wow. 
What a dark conclusion. I thought you were going to say something like she she arrived and she <laughs> she was she was in the kitchen with the candlestick all the time. <laughs> no, no, it's like it's kind of like so. Yeah, you did warn me at the there. beginning. It starts with a murder, and yeah. and there we are. Oh, it's so she she got killed because she was going to go to the police about the the extortion or yeah. Had she the, been the, successful and getting because of the insurance scandal, then all the rest wouldn't have happened. Mm. Her disappearance is critical for everything else that followed, but for the fact it went on for twenty years and the amount of high quality elite horses that got killed. And also some that weren't quite elite, that had their values pushed up. Mm. The impact upon the name of equestrian in the US has been huge. And it's a sport which, you know, I suppose around the world has a lot of prestige. But we struggle to have prestige in the USA now yeah. because of the underworld. It really is like an episode of The Sopranos, this, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> But with horses. Horsing around with the Sopranos, <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. So that is Money Talks. That could have been Rule Breaker. It could have been Out of Bounds. Could have been... <laughs> could have, could have been, been so, The Wheel of Murder. <laughs> could have been so and many corruption. But hopefully I've done it justice there. Thank you so much, Ian. That was a really dark uh, story, <laughs> not one I was anticipating at all. <laughs> Thank you, though. It's great. And thank you so much to uh, all of our listeners out there. Uh, please do review, share, and tell all your friends about it, especially if you've enjoyed us. Um, review us on whichever platform you get your podcasts and get in touch with us on Instagram and Twitter at The Wheel of Sport. Thank you so much, Ian. Thanks, Matt. See you next time for another one of the greatest sports stories ever told. <laughs> See you, mate. Thanks. Helen Brock is still missing. In a cemetery in her hometown of Unionport, Ohio, stands the elaborate monument that she had built to mark her final resting place. Underneath that monument lie Helen's parents, her husband Frank, and her two beloved dogs, Candy and Sugar. But Helen's grave is empty. Her body has never been found. Chicago's most confounding case was solved but exactly what happened to Helen Brock remains a mystery.